All right, good evening, everyone. Welcome, or morning, afternoon, whenever the hell you're listening to it. Welcome to the year that was dot, dot, dot. I am your host, Aaron Maxson, along with uh, two of my co-hosts, Nate Maxson, my brother. How's it Hello. going? And uh, Mark Brew, a member of the... Uh, yo, 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 yo. A member of the We Can't Wrestle podcast family. Um, later on, we're hoping that Archie Mitchell will jump on. Um, for those of you that are regular listeners, you know what we do here. But if you're new, what we're doing is we're recapping a year of um, major wrestling, like mainstream wrestling, which would be at this time, 97, WWF and WCW. So essentially, we're going through the year that was 1997. Um so unless you guys have anything to talk about at the top of the show. No, I don't. Okay. 97 was these knees. That's all I'm going to say. Yes, like, it was. It was a great fucking year. It is. Both companies sitting on all cylinders. Um, but we're going to do something that we did a couple weeks ago at the top of the show. We're just going to kind of recap a... Um, a capsule of what was going on in the United States of America in 97. And we're going to go over the top 10 movies and the top 10 songs of that were the top 10 of this week. Um, so what do you guys want first, the songs or the movies? I always lean toward the songs. All right. Music guy. Um, so the top 10 songs for this week Billboard Top 10. Number 10 was My Baby Daddy by B-Rock and the Biz. Oh, God. I have no idea what that is. Who that is. No idea. <laughs> um, no, B-Rock and the Biz. Um, You've never heard that song? Seriously? No, I've never heard it. If I've heard, oh it, I, if I've heard it, if I've heard it, I don't know. Like I'd be like, oh, okay, I've heard that song, but no, I don't know, I don't know it from from memory. No idea. Uh, and I'm sure I heard, I'm sure I heard it because in 1997 I was working in a music store, so I'll look Guaranteed it up. Guaranteed right. you've heard it. <laughs> um, number nine is "Where Have All the Cowboys Gone" by Paula Cole. Paula Cole. Yes. I went to in 1997. I went to a Lilith fair, and. Um, Paula Cole was on the show, and the only thing I remember about that uh, that show, well, I mean, there was some nice singing and stuff. I'm not going to say I didn't enjoy myself concert-wise, but I also got to hang out with a bunch of lesbians, so that was fun. Well, that's what's going to happen when you go to a Lilith Fair. I mean, that's right. Kind of their jam. Um, <laughs> number eight is Hard to Say I'm Sorry by Yeez Yet. I think that's how you say it. It's hard to say that we're sorry, but it's in the title of the song. That's not, it's like that's like the noise I make now when I get up. Yeah. Yeah. But it's A Z and then Y E T. Yeez yet. Um number seven is the song that I bump frequently, Return of the Mac by Mark Morrison. Good song. Oh god, if you don't like that song, something's wrong with yeah, you. Something's wrong with you. Um <laughs> Number seven is Wannabe by the Spice Girls. That was on funny. There was there was was a moment in there. We talk about it. There was a moment in time where they were just like, and that's the way it goes in music, especially pop music. There was a moment in time where they were just the biggest thing in the world. And then they were just gone, you know, 
I was a fan of Posh Spice. Still am, but yeah, she was <laughs> she was the best one. Um, number five is "I Want You" by Savage Garden. Boring band. Yeah, just very boring. Bland. Yeah, they had their. I'm gonna dance they had with their you. Hits. I'm gonna dance with you in the trees. I want to float with you in pudding. Whatever the fuck they were singing yeah, about. Who cares? <laughs> um, for you, I will by Monica from the Space Jam soundtrack. They, she's she's moved up the charts. I think she was like number nine the last time we talked about it. So she's killing it. Um, Foolish Games by Jewel is still on there. So good for her. And then um, Can't Nobody Hold Me Down by Puff Daddy in at number two. Oh, and yeah, from number one. Yes. And does anybody want to know or want to know, want to guess what the number one song in the United States of America this time was? What Was it Was it by the Backstreet Boys or NSYNC? Neither one. Oh. This was by what a, genre was it? It was rap. Like real rap. Guys, it's paradise. Nope. Hypnotized by Biggie Smalls. That was the number oh, one. That's a, I mean, that one's a good one. Mm-hmm. Yes. So Biggie was in at number one. Um, so unless you guys have anything else on that. So I'm a I'm imagining baby, baby. I'm imagining probably Scott Hall and Kevin Nash and Lex Luger were rolling into the building listening to Hypnotize and all that shit. So <laughs> Um, biggie, 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 can't you see? <laughs> can't, you, can't you see them fucking singing that shit? Because <laughs> that was one thing that Nash said about Luger. Like, when he first met Luger, he thought he was going to be, like, lame. But, like, he met him, and he was, like, he was in the rap and, like, smooth R&B and shit. I was like, Lex Luger's kind of cool. <laughs> like, I wasn't <laughs> Um, Big swallow dude listening to Jodeci and shit. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I don't listen to um, I don't listen to podcasts that are wrestlers podcasts. That's just not my jam. I'm going to listen to Kevin Nash's. I I just said I, I was just about to say I'm going to listen to Kevin Nash's podcast because I love to listen to Kevin Nash, Nash shoot. Kevin Nash is a guy that you know because because of how brutally honest he is. You know, he's not full of shit. Like. He'll yeah. criticize himself. He he's he never he never fucking you know. And granted, he has his he has a high opinion of himself, and he's going to tell his side of the story. But he's not full of shit. You just know he's not full of shit. He's too. And the real. other reason I'm going to listen to it is who his um, um, Sean Oliver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, is it Sean or Greg? I almost said Greg Oliver. Sean Oliver is that guy. Greg Oliver is, is a wrestling journalist, but yeah. Sean is the one yeah, that's hosting I, the podcast. You're right. I, I just about fucked up and said that. But, yeah, yeah. I, I like that guy. Like, he doesn't he, he doesn't come off as, like, a fanboy or a mark. You know what I mean? Like, he mm-hmm. actually does his research and shit. So I think I'm going to enjoy that podcast. Yeah. Um, so now we'll move into the movies. You guys ready for this? Yeah. Um, Number 10, I actually know some of these movies this week. Number 10 is a movie I like, uh, Gross Point Blank. You guys uh, you guys are watching that movie? Yeah, good flick. Yeah, John Cusack movie. There's even a wrestling tie-in in that. Um, number 9 is Murder at 1600. It was a Wesley Snipes movie. What Wesley Snipes movie where he's like investigating a murder at the at the White House. 
as I know it. I know that in 1997 I saw it, but I've never seen it since. Yeah, sounds like 97 version of Olympus's power. Yeah, Archie's here. Welcome, Archie. No, sir. I am potato salad tonight. Potato salad is here. Welcome, potato salad. Thank you. Um, Thank you. What we're doing is we're going over the top ten movies and songs of this week in 1997. Ah. You, you missed all the songs. But was any of them the Spice Girls? Yes, one of them was. Okay, good. All right. Um, but you just came in right at the right at the top of the movie discussion, so I'll okay. catch you up. Number ten was Gross Point Blank. Number nine, Murder at sixteen hundred. Number eight is The Saint, which was a Val Kilmer movie of some sort. Number seven, Warriors of Virtue. I don't know what that is. Never oh my god, that is a hidden gem, bro. Never seen it. Yeah, no that movie is. Yeah, never heard of it. All right, it's it was kind of like Ninja Turtles, but they were like kangaroos, <laughs> and they fucking they were ninjas, bro. <laughs> Wait a minute. That is the nineties. Minus the rat. That is that is no that that is the nineties. In a if you could synopsis in a can the nineties in a kangaroo pouch. That's right. Like a guy a guy went into a movie studio and was like, Listen, it's the ninja turtles. No. But they're kangaroos. Teenage mutant ninja kangaroos. Somebody call like Jonathan it. Taylor Thomas. This is a good vehicle for him. I mean, it, I, I watched it as, as a kid. It was, it was pretty good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's not like it's not like you know top ten movies of all time on my list or anything. But I mean, it was a decent movie. I don't know. You seem pretty psyched about it. You're like, that's a hidden gem. Yeah, because I knew it, and they did. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Um, number six is Anaconda. Don't want none unless you got buns, huh? <laughs> uh, number five is Romeo and Michelle's high school reunion. That is, oh, that, that, is, is that is a low key amazing comedy movie. Yeah. Don't ever don't ever sleep on that movie. That is a fantastically funny movie. Mina 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 or Mina Ferrari is amazing. Yes, and Lisa Kudrow's in there. She's funny. Lisa so, Kudrow's an uh, underrated comedic actress. Yes. Uh, number four, Liar Liar. Great comedy. Very yes. good comedy. It's actually, in my opinion, his best movie. Him being Jim Carrey. Yes. You know why I pulled you over? <laughs> yeah. He opens up the. <laughs> He's got all those parking tickets. Ooh. Another Number. another wrestling another wrestling connection in that one too, Aaron. The claw. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, He's like, num- we're gonna go watch the Macho Man Randy Savage and Ravishing Rick Rude in the Steel Cage. <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, number three, Volcano. If I remember right, I was not back in the day. Back in that, when I was like seventeen, eighteen years old. I never got into the the. Um, Catastrophe movie craze. Yeah, this, yeah. Is one, this, this is the one with Tommy Lee Jones, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so there were yeah. so many from like ninety seven to ninety nine. There were so many of those catastrophe movies, and it's just the yeah. only one I I really enjoyed was uh, Dante's Peak. I think. Look, 
Pierce Brosnan. Or, yeah, yeah, not bad. I liked Armageddon. Armageddon. Yeah, that was good. That was I had fun. I was a Twister fan. The thing I remember about Volcano is they did like the volcano erupted or whatever. And it was like one of the first movies as a kid where I was like, uh, that's dumb. Like like I became like like um I don't want to say it. Like a little kid and I was just like, Yeah, really? You're gonna try to give us a message? Because at the end of the movie, everybody's helping everybody, and they all have fucking volcanic a- volcanic ash on them or whatever. And a little kid looks at Tommy Lee Jones, and he's like, look at the people. They all look the same. I'm like, ugh. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> that movie sucked. Um, I thought this is going to be an action flick. Yeah, not a fucking <laughs> message movie. Um... It's kind of like, it, it reminds me of like, um, fucking, uh, don't be a menace to society, to society while drinking Message. your That's why I said it. Message. Yeah, every, every, every time something happens, fucking Keen Ivan Wayne's pops up and he's like, message. Yeah, if you want to do, if you want to do a message movie, you don't do it like that, that cheesy ass shit. Like a message movie, example of a good, a good example of a message movie is Pleasantville. Right, you know that that is that is a good message because just the way it's structured and everything, and it's very intelligent and stuff. It's not some simpleton fucking joke like everybody looks the same. Gag yeah. me with a spoon. Yeah, <laughs> um, and then number two is, and I'm assuming the next time if I do this next week, it's going to be number one. It's uh, Austin Powers, the spy who shagged me. The original Austin Powers movie is in it. <laughs> I two. love those. That was by far one of my favorite movies in 1997. Yes. Uh, Third Austin Austin Powers is my favorite, though, because Mike Myers was just like, I'm going to do everything that you guys said was too fucking insane in these first two movies. And he just put them all in there. Dr. Evil, I used to think you were crazy, but now I can see you're nuts. See you're nuts. Fucking looking a pancake. Right. I like when fucking Dr. Evil and Goldmember on three are like talking over the CB radio. Yeah. Yeah. And Member's like, that's a big 10 for you, big sack of monkey nuts. And drive into your mouth now. <laughs> the greatest lines ever written. <laughs> fucking fantastic. And then the number one movie. Yes, number one. Yeah, you're going to be wrong, but go ahead. I'm going to say uh, Men in Black. Nope. Oh, it's some film okay. called it's some film. It's a Kurt Russell movie called Breakdown. Yes, yes. Him and his wife's car break down in the middle of the uh, desert, and a guy picks up his wife while he's walking to get gas and kidnaps her. I've seen it. It's crap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> week, Kurt Russell was making money off that shit. So that is. The songs that our stars were listening to in the ra- on the radio, and the movies they were going to see to kill time before the big shows. And now I'll let you guys decide: Are we going to start with the one hour one hour nitro or the two hour raw? Start with the one hour nitro. All right. Uh, I just got one comment though: like the, the fact that you're doing that, the movies and and the songs at the beginning. 
it's pretty cool because wrestling also is an element of that. It's the music and entertainment. Yeah. And, you know, the theater combined. So it's pretty. I, I, it's pretty I, thought, I thought it was pretty it good. It puts me in a good mood. Yeah. And so I don't want to do it every week, but I figured every couple of weeks, because I, I, if you do it every week, it's going to be the same shit. You know what I mean? Right. I look at it, but um, so we're starting WCW Nitro. They're in Lakeland, Florida. Um, the upcoming pay per view is Slamboree 1997, which will be held on May the 18th, 1997. So that's what we're building towards. Um, the big angle going into it is Ric Flair, Roddy Piper, and Kevin Green are going to be going to a six man match with the Outsiders and Six Bach. Um, the show starts with a recap of the NWO beating down Ric Flair last week and Ric Flair, or Roddy Piper, sorry, um, not helping Flair, watching him get beat up. And they're wondering why Roddy Piper took so long to help Ric Flair. And then the show starts and Piper, Kevin Green, and Ric Flair are at the announce booth. Um, they go to speak, but a Tradition Bites NWO banner falls down behind them, and uh, Piper gets mad, knocks it down, and then goes to speak again, and a similar banner falls in front of their faces. Like, <laughs> it was... It's just, you gotta see it to see how fucking hilarious it is. <laughs> yeah, because he gets so pissed off when the first one falls, and then when Flair goes to pull it down, he's like, piss on it. Yeah. <laughs> like, they're like, we're gonna say our piece, and then the banner falls, rips it down, goes to speak again, one falls right in front of him. Like, <laughs> character-wise, it's like total, it's totally something Scott Hall would think of. Yes. We know they're gonna tear it down. Let's and you kind of, kind of, kind of wondered did they, did they let him know? Did they let them know beforehand this was going to happen, or was that Piper's legit response to that banner falling down in his face? <laughs> even though, even though, even though at, at times the NWO storyline kind of shit on the business, it did it, it did it in such a funny fashion yeah. that it's like okay, my, one of my Aaron knows this. Like I never don't laugh. When it sold out 97, it's like, <laughs> from El Paso, Texas, 247 pounds, Eddie, Gu- Eddie Guerrero, and then the NWO voice goes, loser. <laughs> it just loser. cracks yeah. me. It fucking yeah. cracks me up. Like, there's no music. There's no, it's just that. He's like, loser. It's just so fucking funny. Anyway. Yeah, them knocking down the one banner and feeling accomplished, and then the other one just falling right in front of their face. It's fucking great. I laugh my fucking ass off. So, um, Flair, Green, and Piper run off, and the Nitro beginning, the Nitro, like, the town blowing up, or the city blowing up, or whatever plays, and then Piper, Green, and Flair are in the ring. Um, NWO Flyers are now falling from the sky again. Um, Piper says that he saw Ric Flair get beat up, but it was only three on one, so he figured Flair had it handled. And um, great, what a great excuse! Yeah, um, 
And then Flair, he, he just accepts it. And um, then Piper says that he doesn't care that the end of th- – th- this thing's weird. Um, Piper says that he doesn't care that um, the NWO is getting 75% of the gate. James J. Dillon comes out and interrupts and says that Eric Bischoff has made sweet deals for the NWO, so there's nothing you can do about the 75% thing but tells Piper that he understands that he actually is upset, but remember, you're still going to get 25% of the gate if you show up. And then Piper says that he's, he's going to show up where I'm saying this is weird. And Mark, I know you said you watched it. There wasn't any point where Piper said he wasn't going to show up. Right. Right. So I don't know. I don't know. He insinuated it. Right. Yeah, so well, I might I have backstage stuff going on. He might have said in a creative meeting or in passing, if they keep booking it like this BS, I ain't showing up, you know, and Jay did come out the drive. Part of what I think you is, know? I think I, I think Piper missed, I think he missed saying like, I, I, I think he missed saying something about possibly not showing up and forgot to like say Like a line it. or something, yeah. yeah and yeah. Dylan just went out there and did his fucking thing. But I, I don't know, it was just weird. And then uh, Flair once again says that he's not sure about if he can take out Scott Hall or Kevin Nash, but he's 100% sure that he can take out six. Um, Flair, I think, really likes Sean Waltman because he's, he's putting a lot of his focus on, on six. And um, I, th- I think he's trying to give him a little bit of a rub in this feud. The six does that make sense? Yeah, well, he went on to feud with six separately after the six man tag. So I think, yeah, I think Waltman was out of we talked about this before out of the three, Paul Nash and Waltman. Waltman was the one who respected tradition more and actually gave Flair the respect he deserved. So I think Flair was trying to do him a justice by letting him get the rub a little. Yeah, just because Flair's talked about him like the entire time, and Pac has just kind of been like a secondary thing in it. So, um, and then uh, Piper and Green and Flair um, kind of stay in the ring while the Public Enemy like they cut their promo and they end it, and then the Public Enemy's music starts hitting. So it kind of looks like it's Flair and Piper and Green's song, which I think is funny. and they're just standing in the ring being being them as the public enemy makes their entrances and they have or entrance and they have two tables with them. And they're going to be facing Conan and Hugh Morris. And now Mark, you watched this as well as just as well as I did. You said you watched it as well. That was like twenty five minutes of a segment that Aaron just talked about. So an hour worth of nitro, they only got an hour. They spent a quarter of it on Flair and and Green and Piper. I mean, it is. I put it like this, and I'm not going to spoil anything. But to me, this show was kind of lackluster. I agree. For an hour's worth of Nitro, it was pretty bad. And part of me understands if they beat. Raw in the in the ratings this week with one hour and it was that shitty. Then part of me does I have kind no of faith in humanity. A, a, a 
last week's show was kind of the same way, but part of me understands it because they're going on at seven, which they're usually on at eight, and they're only going to be an hour. And this is all because of the playoffs. So from a television aspect, it's like you don't know how long this playoff is going to go. So let's kind of, I don't want to say half-ass it, but let's not put our best shit out there. You know what I mean? Well, they might not be watching it. Does that make sense? It's kind of like it's kind of like when Raw would get preempted for the dog show. Like that Raw would never be that good. It would basically just be a fucking televised house show because it's like there might be people that don't even know this is fucking on right now. So why would we do some major big angle that nobody's gonna fucking see? Does that make sense? Well, I mean, but at the same time, you got your diehards that's gonna tune in just because your show's on. Yeah, and, and, and they're going to tune in just because it is. So why? It's like we know these people are going to watch, but we're not getting extra eyes on them. Let's not put. But them you just said it though. But you just said it. Last week's show was kind of crappy too, and now your diehards are watching your crappy product for the second week. You're being preempted. So now I got to tune in an hour earlier and only get an hour's worth of WCW. I'm saying go go balls to the wall, and make it not a pay per view, but at least give them something better than 25 minutes of. Incoherent Roddy Piper, Ric Flair, who's just dancing around and giving Piper praise, and Kevin Green, who really couldn't cut a promo. I love Kevin Green, but he wasn't really cutting that big of a promo this day and age, you know. So there was more they could have done instead of giving them that long of a period of time at one point. I can see, I can see it from both angles. Um, so this match is the Public Enemy versus Conan and Hugh Morris. Um, Everybody brings the table, so there's three tables out there. Um, there comes the point, the match starts on the floor, it's a brawl, it comes to where it almost looks like Jimmy Hart's going to go through a table, but Conan saves him, and um, they, the public enemy sets up a double-decker table, and they put Conan on the bottom one, and they're going to smash one table through Conan, and Johnny Grunge's body. And um, they're putting over this. Oh, this is going to break his back. Um, Johnny Grunge goes to do the spot. Obviously, Conan isn't legitimately going to take it. They knew that um, Jimmy Hart was going to pull him off. But it, the bump does not go the way that they anticipated. Because Johnny Grunge does not go through both tables. He hits the top table. It breaks, and then he skids off into the guardrail. He topples over, yeah. <laughs> and you do not see Johnny Grunge the rest of the match. Loser. <laughs> uh, I'm just going to say this. Bro, ever. That they said it was Public Enemy and Conan and Hugh Morris. I knew this wasn't going to be something that was going to just astoundingly wow me. Uh, me too, but that fucking bump that Johnny Grunge took, it was fucking insane, and he was legitimately hurt. He was legitimately hurt because they even mentioned that t- that Chuck Tashier, who was basically there, Francois Petit or whatever, came out and was attending Johnny Grunge. So Johnny Grunge was legitimately taken out, and then um, the match continues. Um, Conan somehow winds up on a table. Um, and Rocco Rock proceeds to, um, hold on. 
I misspoke. He, uh, Conan's on the table. Uh, Rocco's going to uh, moonsault Conan through the table, but Hugh Morris stops him and instead decides to superplex Rocco onto the table, which Conan is on. So he sacrificed his own partner, but still got the pin. So Conan and Hugh Morris are victorious. And then Tony Schiavone states that that means that they now get to face the Steiner brothers at Slambury. So that's how that went. It was like Conan joined the NWO afterward. <laughs> so it was a pretty chaotic match, and it, it was actually better than what it deserved to be. I didn't. Mind yeah, that. I was going to say that. Surprisingly, this was a highlight of that show. The crowd was into it, so these four guys busted their ass, and I really have nothing bad to say about the match. Um. The next thing, unless you guys have anything else to say about that epic Dungeon of Doom. Nate does. He loves Republic Enemy. Uh, <laughs> there you go. Dynamite <laughs> dropping, Donnie. The next thing is, in my opinion, the best thing on the whole show. Um, it's Rey Mysterio going one-on-one with Six, who has the Outsiders with him for the Cruiserweight Championship. Um, the match starts because starts quickly because six jumps Rey Mysterio, um, and they talk about how dirty that is. And six is a six is a punk for jump start in the match. Six smacks around Rey Mysterio, gets him in the corner, goes to the Bronco Buster early, and sit and uh, Rey gets his feet up and um, basically kicks X Pac in his ball in his balls and dick. And he's like, ah, my ball's in dick. My ball's in dick. And then Kevin Nash is like, uh-uh, you ain't going to kick my buddy in the balls and dick. And he goes to get in the ring. And uh, Rey Mysterio lights him up with a, with a drop kick. And Nash sells it. The crowd is losing their fucking minds. Um, Rey is getting the best of Nash and six. But Scott Hall ends up ganging him from behind. Hits him with the outsider's edge, and then six traps uh, Ray and Ray into the buzz killer, and then JJ and he won't release it. JJ Dillon comes out, instructing him to release it. Um, then kind of all hell breaks loose, and a bunch of NWO people come out. Eric Bischoff's out there, and he's telling JJ that he doesn't have the authority. What's he doing out there? Um, and then Nash. Um, Pac ends up breaking the hold and then Nash and Six say that this isn't New York and we didn't like you there and you're not going to pull the shit that you pulled when you worked for McMahon and that that's kind of how the segment ends. Now, the segment was exciting but the thing that I don't like about it is they were telling JJ, you don't have any authority. You don't have any whatever. So I'm, and JJ just kind of stands there and watches it. So I don't understand the purpose of JJ Dillon. Yeah, and his whole argument was if he didn't break the hold, they were going to reverse the decision and shit like that. Like, it was lame. It was watered down as fuck. Yeah, like, once they put JJ in there, it's like, I, it, it, if he can't, 
reverse a decision or whatever. It's like I don't understand the purpose of JJ Dillon right now. The um, the best the highlight of this segment is it is a little preview of my and Aaron knows this. My favorite little man big man rivalry of all time is Kevin Nash and Rey Mysterio. People right. say a lot of shit about Kevin Nash. We talked about him earlier, how we all like him. They talk a lot of shit about Kevin Nash, but when someone's a good worker and is willing to do business and do it well, Kevin Nash will put a motherfucker over. It doesn't matter who it is, what size they are, et cetera, et cetera. He made, I don't know if Ray Ray, I can't even remember if Ray Ray ever beat him. He did. but And, 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 that's, and that's what you were saying he, about. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, he just, he always made Ray look good. You know, they were great together, but. And it's like you were saying about where Nash is willing to admit that if he, that he did something wrong, you know? Mm -hmm. And he said that he kind of said he wanted to work with Ray and do that big man, little man thing. And Bischoff kind of let him, let him book it or whatever. And he said he did it in reverse. Because if you remember later on, Ray beats Nash, and then they have their rematch, and then that's when Ray loses his mask because yep. they put Liz's hair up against Ray's mask. Mm-hmm. Nash says that shit should have been the other way around. Like he's like, I should have beat Ray, and then obviously we're not going to shave Liz's hair. And he's like, but right. the the end of, it should have been the other way. Like I beat Ray, and then Ray comes back, and Ray beats me. Right. We should have never taken the mask off of Ray to begin with. And it also was like, like it, it would have made Ray bigger if he would have ended up winning. the. And I know we're not there yet. We're going to discuss it in the future, but I just wanted to say this is kind of a foreshadowing of my favorite big man, little man program ever. Yes. And I love that Ray Mysterio attire too, that, that he has on for this match. The, uh, Spider-Man light boots with the damn blue and the red mask is pretty dope. Yeah, that dude's always super creative with his outfits. Um, what we're going to do now, Nate, you got it ready? I do. Don't hit it, don't hit it right away. We're going to try a new concept here on the show. We're going to bring some actual audio from the show and Usually, I attempt to try to describe what Lee Marshall says to Bobby the Brain. <laughs> the 1-800-COLLECT-ROAD report. But this time, we're actually going to listen to it. We're going to see if this height of technology works. All right, let's go. <clears throat> go with the road report here. Now we're just waiting on Peacock to actually play the damn thing. <clears throat> We can edit for time here. Yeah. Oh, come on, Nate. Shut up, you face. One week ago at the end of Monday Night Oh, why did it do that? Oh, my God. We need to go to 1725. Yes, and I actually had it queued up. I bet it's, uh, I bet it's fucking Peacock. 1725. We're going to go a little bit before that. Here we go. Let's hear the road report. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Presents our road report. And with that in mind, let's go live now to Lee Marshall. Lee, it's wild here. How is it in Baltimore? Oh, Tony, it's great here in Baltimore. I mean, everybody from Camden Yards down to the Naval Academy in Annapolis. Everybody getting ready 
Baltimore a week from tonight. That's Monday Nitro coming to the Baltimore Arena. You know, Baltimore always the epicenter of great WCW excitement, and we expect Make sure you let Bobby say his name. be sold out. So be sure you now get your Nitro tickets first thing tomorrow. Baltimore is such a great city. It's called Charm City by the residents, the birthplace of Babe Ruth and Montel Williams and Edgar Allan Poe. And that's why they call the team the Ravens and not the Weasels. On the subject of Weasels, Bobby, Bobby, listen to me. You need to know that Baltimore is world famous for its annual crab festivals as well. So next week, next Monday, when some of their Chesapeake blue crabs, Bobby, that's a good thing. That's your one and every collect road report for Baltimore. For 1 800 collect. Thanks a lot, Lee Marshall. And I'm going to knock him out. Yeah, I'm going to knock him out. I'm going to knock him out. He's stopping that. He said, I'm going to knock him out. I'm going to knock him out. <laughs> that is funny. So he said, when somebody goes to give you crabs in Baltimore, Bobby, accept it. It's, it's a, a good, good thing. thing. Unless it's in a sore spot. There might be a, one of those backstage stories of Bobby Heenan kissing crabs <laughs> in Baltimore. <laughs> <laughs> so That's that funny. was just that was just something. <laughs> to try out and see if it worked and it did so that and, be- yeah but I learned a lesson about peacock because I tried to I tried to queue it up um, if it would have been YouTube or something it would have just stayed but apparently with peacock if you leave it uh, if you exit the episode try to go back in it starts from the beginning and you have to click you know you have to find your spot again so we will uh, we will learn that that's a lesson learned for next time when I'm using peacock to do that. I'll queue it up. I'll queue oh, it up right before. I heard his grandkid yelling when we were watching the road report, so maybe he had to go deal with that. Um, so um, Hulk Hogan's back, ladies and gentlemen. Um, you're never going to have a WCW any type of event in Florida where Hogan's not there. That dude's like the king of Florida. Especially at this Probably time. where they were shooting fucking McShitty's Island. Yeah. Um, so Hogan's always going to be in Florida. Um, so he appears. He comes out. Um, he's with Eric Bischoff. And um, Hogan's talking. He, he brings up the Outsiders. And, and well, Bischoff says... People want to know when you're going to beat Ric Flair like an old shoe again. And Hogan says he doesn't have to because he knows his boys, the Outsiders and Six, are going to deal with that. So he's not worried about Flair. Um, Then Hogan says that everybody wants a piece of him. He's been watching Nitro at home and didn't realize how hard his life was until he's heard everybody talking about wanting to fight him. um, From Giant to this guy to that guy. and then he says that he doesn't want to fight any of them. He only wants to fight the um, big dog of the company, the big guy, Sting. And he calls out Sting, and they're looking into the heavens for Sting to drop. Sting doesn't show up. And then um, Hogan says that this proves that he's a god, and Sting's afraid of him. And then they, they leave. So they got all these people amped up for Sting to show up, and he didn't. And then Tony Schiavone mentions that um, Hogan didn't bring up Luger because he actually thinks that uh, 
Hogan's legitimately afraid of Luger, but then also mentions that Luger isn't there because he got hurt in Japan. So I don't know what this Japan shit is, but apparently the NWO Japan contingent beat up Lex Luger in Japan and injured him. And that's that probably didn't even happen. Who knows? But that's what they did with that segment. You guys got anything on that? Um, this point in time, Hulk Hogan was extra leathery. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, because he was making a movie. He had to be. He had to be. All those fucking jet skis. <laughs> yeah. He was on McCliskey's Island, man. It's fucking paradise. <laughs> um. So that segment was what it was. And Nate, it's like you were talking about Hogan always talks big shit about Sting when he knows Sting ain't around. But the minute Sting shows up, he do, he goes old school heel and fucking powders out. Like Yeah, Hogan like was, I said, like Hogan's I said before, that Hogan and Sting is, is some of the greatest shit ever until they get to the end of it. Yeah, and they fucking fuck it up. Yes. They let they let the <laughs> Hogan let his politics take over, and at this about, point, though, I love the heel promos. Oh yeah, no, no, he was. I mean, Hulk Hogan was born to be a heel. He was a heel when he was a babyface. Um, yeah. but yeah, just it, this is good shit at this time. And people can say what they want to say, and Bischoff can say, and I know we're we're ahead of ourselves. Um, and Bischoff can can say it however he wants to say it. Fucking Hogan. Uh, Hogan knew if he lost cleanly to Sting, that that whole fucking wave that he was riding would have been gone. And he worked Bischoff. He fucking worked. Mm-hmm. Him. Yeah, he did. Totally worked him. He 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 told Eric, because I. I think Eric, if he would have just did it, like his whole fucking idea was Sting's going to beat you. And then Hogan got to that point. And I honestly believe at the beginning of it, Hogan was like, yeah, let's do it. And then when it started getting traction and fucking money coming in and fucking merchandise and all that shit, he was like, oh, oh, look at, look at Sting. He's out of shape, brother. Do you, yeah. you think he looks like a ponty Eric? But he fucking worked Eric. He did. He's a little pale. He's wearing white fucking face. <laughs> so yeah, Hogan worked. Oh, Hogan worked his buddy. I totally believe that. Um, the next match really isn't a match. It's Lord Steven Regal versus Meng. Um, Regal comes out. He doesn't have his robe or anything. And Bobby's like, "Oh, usually we see William Regal out here, and he and he's doing it. He's primping and and posing, and and he's got his." Red, white, and blue robe on, and and he's not even wearing his robe tonight. He's a he, he's he's here because he wants he wants to fight. And then uh, Larry Zabisco says, I, "I don't. I think he didn't wear his robe to the ring because he doesn't want Mang to eat it. <laughs> he's probably afraid Mang's going to eat his robe." And then uh, Bobby says, "Mang's ate worse things than robes before." I don't know if he was kind of ribbing his buddy there. Maybe a nose. Or a a gross. I've been waiting. I've been waiting backstage for 20 minutes. Not 20 minutes. I'm joking. I'm joking. 
Uh, Sorry about that. My internet went out. It's okay. Like I said, Bobby said that, he, that, that Regal didn't wear his robe to the ring, and um, Zabisco says, well, he didn't want Mang to eat it, and then Bobby says, I think Mang's ate worse things than a robe before. I think he was kind of kind of ribbon, ribbon Mang. And I have a feeling that much like Bobby with Harley Race, I think Bobby is probably one of the only guys in the professional wrestling industry allowed to like get away with fucking making fun of Ming or ribbing him. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, there's not, probably not a lot of guys making fun of fucking Haku, but Bobby Heenan can get away with it. And Haku's probably cool with it. Fucking Bobby. Um, <laughs> um, so this match starts hot and heavy. They're both smacking the shit out of each other, chopping each other. Um, and then in something that's, and it's all the people involved. So I, so I understand it, but it's something that's super realistic. Kevin Sullivan, Jackie and, uh, Jimmy Hart come running out and real automatically jumps out of the ring and jumps on Kevin Sullivan. Like when he sees it, he's just like, Nope, like I'm not, I'm not going to let this guy attack me. You know, like, You're not like, doing this two weeks in a row, fucking yeah, up my match. <laughs> yeah, Regal, like Regal's character, automatically knew I have to be on the offense in this situation, or I'm, I'm done. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but they still end up um, getting the better of Regal, and Man gets the tongue and death grip on Regal, and it, 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 it just it ends where um, it just ends in a no contest, and Sullivan ends up getting. Um, Mang off of Regal because he says that's Benoit. Don't waste yourself. Don't waste time on him. We need to focus on Benoit. And Mang ends up breaking the tongue and death grip, and that's how it ends. It was a quick segment, and it got over Mang as being a badass. And um, then it really looked like he had him right by the gizzard too. Yeah. So it, it was it was a quick segment, but it was effective. Um. The next thing is um, a boring video on what DDP and Randy Savage have been up to. It's mainly getting over DDP. It's just a, a voiceover guy talking about diamond cutters and shit. Diamond cutters and shit. Um, DDP's out for his interview. Um, he's got Kim Page with him, who is uh, nicely tanned and wearing a low-cut white mini dress. Did you notice she about fell down the ramp? Yeah. But she almost fell down the ramp. I don't care. I was just <laughs> like, oh. Like, those are my main notes. DDP interview. I didn't write down anything that he said. It just says, Kimberly Page, nicely tanned, wearing a low-cut white mini dress. It was great. <laughs> um, Evad, Evad would have uh, been happy with it. Yes, um, Macho Man then comes out and cuts his uh, standard right now Savage promo from the crowd. Um, Savage is obviously hurt right now. So my thing is I enjoy the Randy Savage DDP feud, but with Savage being hurt, it's just it's the same thing every week. Yeah, and doing the ticket shit, EO shit from the crowd. Yeah, so just kind of like, yeah, this is wash, rinse, repeat with DDP and, and Savage. 
Um, Nate, are you still there? I am. Okay. I just heard somebody. <laughs> so I didn't know somebody shit restarted or something. Yeah, my my internet was slowing down a little bit, and a lot of times if you turn your camera off, it helps with All that. Right, so. I, I get it. Um, the next thing is Alex Wright, and he's wearing black now. He's wearing his. He's still wearing his um, his his black leather jacket, but he's got black tights on. As he's coming out, a couple of the ah! things, a couple of the things ah! him, and he pulls away, and Shivani brings that up, and he's facing Jeff Jarrett, who's with Deborah. Um, Alex Wright's doing a little bit of Healy shit in here. Um, Deborah then distracts Alex Wright, who tries to attempt to dance for her to entice her. So he does his little dick dance, thinking it's going to get Deborah. He likes dancing. Yeah, he, so he does his little dick dance for Deborah. Um, she wasn't impressed, and Jeff Jarrett ends up chop blocking um, Alex Wright, getting the figure four. And there's your winner, Jeff Jarrett. And they mention again that Alex Wright um, was kind of kind of healing it up in the match. So they're starting to um, lead to the epic. They're starting to hint towards the epic heel turn of Alex Wright. So we got that to look forward to. Yes. When the fuck was he fucking face? I never liked him. He was a fucking show to me. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out when he was epic. I don't remember I'm, that part. I am the complete. I am going to be the odd man out here. We're not going to be the odd man out because I know. I I, I really really liked Alex Wright. I thought he had a great upside, and he actually. I think that if he wouldn't have been, had the injuries that he had, because the reason he never showed up at the WWF after the acquisition was he was just kind of riddled with injuries at the time. And then by the time he was probably ready to go, he was kind of an afterthought. But I thought he had amazing potential. I thought in that invasion angle, he could have been a big deal in that and probably been a big part of the WWF after the WCW folded. And WCW, and like Alex Wright, he was a guy that got a jump gimmick but could fucking work. That dude was a fucking working machine in my head. And people don't talk about the fact that he was... People people don't talk enough about the fact that he was a a really... You know, he was a second-generation wrestler and really good at... I I liked him. I like him. I just, like I said, I think he got... He got a crappy gimmick. He gave him a cool gimmick, though, when he came back, and then he, he didn't do anything with it, though, Aaron. He was Berlin with the wall. Speculative I didn't say he wasn't a good worker, and I actually have no problem with Alex Wright. I enjoyed him as a TV champion. He was actually very well, you know, rounded. Um, I just think that he was better suited for a tag team with Disco Inferno. They should have just let them ride that out. You know, I just wasn't a fan of the whole Euro uh, party boy dance. Thing isn't I guess that's what I, I, th- I think. I think. I think. I think you would. Might, you might. You might look at it a bit differently if they wouldn't have made him a babyface because that character totally works for a heel. You yes, know? when he started healing it up and speaking only in German, and then Mean Gene would always have to remind him about English only here, buddy. You know. Yeah, it did get better. So, unless we got else, anything else on that, 
Um, the next match is Glacier going one-on-one with one of my low-key favorite um, luchadors on the WCW roster making his debut, Lizmark Jr. Okay? I kind of like Lizmark Jr. And this is his debut. And they don't do him any favors, though, because um, he's coming out, and Lizmark Jr. comes out, and Shivani's like, it's the the WCW debut of Lizmark Jr. And he's coming out. Bobby Heenan's like, uh, he kind of looks like an alien. <laughs> Bobby says. And Zabisco laughs. And then um, Zabisco says, hey, Tony, do you know anything about his dad, Lizmark Sr.? And Tony goes, nope. And then Bobby's like, I don't know anything about him either. And then Zabisco's like, yep, I don't know anything either. Maybe this is a time where you need Mike Tanay. Was that a, was that maybe a knock at Mike Tanay a little bit because he and knew everything about Lucha Libre? I don't know, but these three guys were just like, all right, this guy's debuting. Looks like an alien, and we don't know anything about his past or his family or anything. We have we have nothing on Liz Mark Jr. Aaron, do you realize if you fast forward that twenty five years later to now, and they would have said he looks like an alien, and him being Hispanic, how many people would have crucified them the next day? No, I, I what are you saying? He doesn't like, have a green card. I mean, there would have been, it would have been the next day. It would have been over. <laughs> that would have happened, and Bobby knew exactly what he was saying. Oh yeah. Like Bobby knew exactly what he was, because because he could be like, no, I mean, look at his mask. Like he could explain it. Right. Oh, I mean, look at his right. mask. He looks like an alien. But he was making a he was making an illegal immigrant joke. Um, oh, I actually had to Google, it. and because you know I was interested in who it actually was. Fucking complete turnaround from what he looked like. Like he's fucking muscled up now with fucking like black eyes yeah. and shit. It's like a complete yeah. transformation. Oh, they, remember, remember that MTV Lucha Libre show, Libre show they started, Lucha Libre USA Masked Warriors? He was uh, one of their main guys. It was him and Mark Jindrek as the guys battling for the world title. So, Liz Mark is a completely different guy. Marco Colion, exactly. But I, I was a fan of Liz Mark Jr. Um, but he gets nothing in this match. He gets not. They, they don't do anything for him on commentary. And then Glacier ends up beating him in like 35 seconds with his cryonic kick. kick. Yep. And then Mortis attacks, and Glacier starts getting the upper hand of Mortis. And then um, James Vandenberg comes out, and Glacier doesn't see James Vandenberg or the unnamed joke. They still haven't named Rass. So no, that's, that's the problem that I have with this whole segment. He were like, they were like, He's still unnamed, but when he fucking came out and they did that whole thing with stabbing him in the eye with the damn helmet, he let it slip. That's wrath. Really? You already named him. Right. <laughs> You're going to act like it just didn't fucking happen. So that's your biggest problem with this whole segment? Yeah, well, I mean, another than the fact that that match was the equivalent of that uh, Todd Duffy eight second knockout fucking shit in USC, and then the fact, <laughs> and then the fact that they're beating 
glacier up with a fucking stick with a stuffed animal on top of it. <laughs> like, like Mortis's stick obviously is like a fucking. It's a. It, 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 you can see that it's a fucking cushion. Like, it's like what the fuck. That was a golf head cover, okay? Yeah, okay. <laughs> they, they proceed to beat the shit out of fucking uh, Glacier with a cotton candy stick, and and that that's how that ends. So Glacier get to keep the helmet. Yeah, they kept the helmet. All right, good. Good. Happy they got to keep the helmet. Yeah, James Vanderbeek was fucking taunting him with it. Obviously, they needed the fucking helmet because that this whole shit to me is retarded. So maybe they needed maybe they needed the fucking helmet to keep them from licking the windows or something. No, No. (laughs) what you don't know is is the helmet gave them powers to make it snow indoors. That's how Glacier's entrance worked. That's why anyway. he would get a job or entrance without the helmet. Anyway, this thing's completely fucked. Why couldn't this be James Vandenberg managing Chris Canyon and Brian Clark beating up Ray Lloyd? <clears throat> well, I mean, I didn't, I didn't dislike power. Mortis. No, I didn't dislike the Mortis character. It's just the fucking angles they put it in made it just like fucking weak as shit. But Ray Lloyd, in my opinion, great worker. Chris Canyon, nobody can ever take anything away from Chris Canyon. Brian Clark, I'm not a fan, but he's a big motherfucker, so I can understand it. James Vandenberg, hell of a talent, but all these gimmicks and everything all together is just, it's rough. Two years too late and a way out of place. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the next thing we get is our Nitro main event. It's supposed to be Harlem Heat taking on the Giant and Lex Luger, but as we um, mentioned earlier, Lex Luger Hold on, where am I at? Sorry, guys. Um, as I mentioned earlier, um, it's supposed to be Lex Luger and Giant um, taking on Harlem Heat, but Luger got beat up in Japan and is injured, so he cannot compete tonight. So instead, Giant says that he has a replacement, and it's DDP. So then DDP and Kim Page come out, and as they're coming out, um, Randy Savage appears in the shadows, distracting DDP. DDP grabs one of Savage's crutches and goes to um, smash Savage with it. But Hogan shows up and attacks DDP. And then the entire NWO, um, well, most of the entire NWO, Piles in and attacks Harlem Heat and the Giant in the ring. So now the end of Hogan and Savage are beating up Piper and 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 Kim by the announce desk. And then Ric Flair and Kevin Green come out to try to help, but it's too much. Then Piper comes out as well, and he gets beat up. And Hogan and Macho Man take over the announce booth, talking about how the NWOs all back together. Savage is like, "I'm glad you're back, Hulk." 
this, that, and other thing. And it ends basically with the NWO beating down WCW. One thing, whenever uh, Nash was in there and had Piper, and they're like, choke him out, big man, and all that. If you notice, he keeps saying, they're all that they're lines and stuff like that, right? Which is going to segue into what we're going to talk about on Raw, because it was like, if, if you ask me, they were back there on that monitor watching WWE, WWF at the time. Like, what do we do to fucking throw shots at them? And I feel like that was the shot. All right. So now I noticed something. Before they went off the air, when Macho Man says, I'm happy to have you back, Hulk, there is a glimmer of lust in Hogan's eyes for Miss Elizabeth. But maybe I was noticing too much. What I noticed was, goddamn, they packed a lot in a fucking hour. Yeah, but everything was rushed. because they gave What I noticed the, was, they were like, here's the main event, and then we never got a fucking match. But they were... They always did that. Every week they would give you some kind of inkling to a main event that might not happen. But it's like they said. They packed a lot of shit into an hour. And now they they pack nothing into three. Right. (laughs) (laughs) This is true. So unless you guys have anything else about Nitro. um, Can we talk about Kimberly's outfit again? I uh, uh, we can. I'm but that's a whole That's a whole nother okay. share. I'll have to take a break after that. All right. So Nitro has ended, um, and we kind of did the flip of what I did as a kid because as a kid I used to watch Raw live and tape Nitro on my VHS because we were classy and had a VHS that you could watch something. And record, you could watch a live show and record another live show at the same time. Our mom actually spent money on a VCR. It wasn't for recording wrestling, it was so she could record her stories, but I used it to my advantage. Um, Thank you, Miss Maxon. (laughs) Yes. Um, So this is the WWF Monday Night, or Raw's War now, from May 5th, 1997. Um, it's in Green Bay, Wisconsin, and it is the go-home show to In Your House, um, Cold Day in Hell. Nate, please write that down. Yeah, I'll get the name right this time. Because <laughs> we're recording that next week, and I don't, want you to, I don't want you to fuck it up. It's going to be Revenge of the Taker. <laughs> I thought it was the generation X. Revenge of the Taker. <laughs> <laughs> but we get a recap of last week's raw with the bret hart um steve austin um saga and then we get the opening um warehouses war raw beginning which is my favorite opening to a raw to any incarnation of raw just the video is fucking fantastic and then the he, um, and there's a lot to unpack in this guy, so I, I'm gonna just—I don't want to say ramble, but I, the, I'm not verbating him. I'm not going to do Brett's promo verbatim, but I got a lot of notes in here because it is a long promo. Um, 
but the greatest faction of all time, the Hart Foundation, make their entrance to the arena. Hands in South Africa, the Middle East, Germany, um, and especially up in Canada, and um, tells the American fan. Um, Brett thanks all his fans in South Africa, the Middle East, Germany, Canada. Um, so then tells the American fans that they can quote their good buddy Sean Michaels and say, Tough Titty said the kitty because I don't want anything to do with you. And then he thanked Brian Pillman for all his prayers from last week. He thanks Owen for winning the Intercontinental Championship and dedicating that to him. You guys still there? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Okay, everybody's picture went away. I just want to make sure my internet is fucking up again. I don't know why I paid no, for this shit. Trying to help so, your internet. Okay, thank you. Um, and then he also thanks um, Davey. And, th- like, Pillman did pray for him, okay? And no one did win the Intercontinental title. But then this is, like... Brett being total heel, and he thanks Davy Boy for thoroughly beating down the Undertaker last week in his honor. Davy didn't do that. Um, <laughs> and then he thanks his best friend Jim Neidhart for saving his life. He said, "If I was up on that ramp and Steve Austin was seconds away from throwing me off the ramp, breaking every bone in my body, and then slamming my wheelchair down on me." Jim Neidhart saved me. And then he starts talking about all the gold they have. They have the European gold, the tag team gold, the intercontinental gold. And then he says, Brian, you have the best gold of them all. You know the golden rule. And what's the golden rule, Brian? And then Brian says, do on to others and enjoy it. And then him and Brett laughed. Yes. And then him and Brett laughed together. And then Brett says, since they already took out Stone Cold and he ain't going to show up tonight, they want to punish somebody else, American, another American hero, and it's HBK. And then they all leave. Brett did a fantastic job here. And like I said, I know the horsemen were the horsemen and whatever, but this is the greatest fucking faction in the history of professional wrestling. At this time, the the Hart Foundation were great. I will say that. They were a great unit. They worked really well together. They were dominant of of all the gold. And, you know, Brett and and each of them all did something with Brett that made you either laugh or smile. And they were the most believable faction in history, I think, because these guys wouldn't die for each other because they were brothers. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You you remember how I was talking about the whole... uh, the whole thing with Nash choking out Piper and kept saying that they were lying. This is what I was referring to. Like, they were backstage. I guarantee you they watched this fucking promo from Brett. And they were like, well, how do we take ribs at them, you know, or take shots at them subliminally? And this was it. Like... Because you're right, I didn't write that down, but Brett talked about they were packs, of, they were a pack of lions, and that Steve is a hyena, and Shawn Michaels. He says Shawn Michaels is that a feminine antelope just dancing around. <laughs> yeah. So 
good call, Mark. I I, I should have wrote that down, but yeah. Um, so unless you guys got anything else on the opening segment with the Heart Foundation, we'll move into our first match. Just said it was a better opening segment than, than Nitro had. <laughs> yes, it was. So the opening match is Ahmed Johnson. He's not. He's not. He's not wearing his his fucking like butt floss tights this week. He's wearing black pants and tennis shoes, and he's facing Rockabilly with the honky tonk man. Um, he couldn't get the shit stain out out the uh, <laughs> tights. I don't think so he had to just fucking wear the black pants. So Rockabilly and the honky tonk man come out, and Rockabilly goes to dance. Um, Ahmed ain't having nothing, none of it. Jump starts the match. The match starts. Then we get a corner interview with uh, Farouk, and Vince McMahon says, "Farouk, um, you have to be. I, I know you don't like Ahmed, but you have to be impressed with his physical prowess in the ring." And Farouk says, "Nope, I'm not impressed at all," um, and says that um, Ahmed's not going to be able to run the gauntlet. Um, at Cold Day in Hell, and that later tonight he's going to show um, everybody how to win a gauntlet because he's going to have Crush do it. Um, then Rockabilly, so they're setting up the Crush is going to be in a uh, one-on-three gauntlet match later tonight. Then Rockabilly um, attempts to use the guitar on Ahmed Johnson while Honky Tonk Man is distracting the referee, but Johnson gets the guitar away from him instead. And smacks him with the guitar. The referee sees it. And your winner by disqualification is Rockabilly. <laughs> so it was what it was. My re- my uh, remarks towards Farouk saying that he wasn't impressed with Ahmed Johnson. You are not alone. By this point, nobody was was impressed with Ahmed Johnson. <laughs> nor were they. Impressed by, nor were they impressed by Rockabilly. Nope. What were you gonna say, Nate? I mean, Ahmed is such a, an anomaly to me in wrestling because, and I, I don't care what anybody says. When he first came in in '96, that fucking dude was over. And '95, but. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, he came in November of '95, but I'm talking about like running up to the Intercontinental Title match with Gold Dust and and all that. He was over his shit, and he he did have a charisma, but yeah, and, and his, he looked like what the fuck a wrestler was supposed to look like. Yes, but his and and his injuries and his attitude got in his own way, and I think also something that hurt him, and I'm not I'm not going to harp on it. I think also something that hurt him was they just left him married to this nation of domination thing for so long. That the, reason, the reason it went so long is because they kept fucking hurting each other so they couldn't get the fucking payoff. Right, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, he had, I, I mean, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm not sitting here. Right from the boot. And then I'm not, fuck it, I'm going to hurt him. I'm not sitting here trying to be Ahmed's lawyer or anything because I, I know as time went on, he got lazy he got um, cocky. He got, you know, he became a pain in the ass. But I don't think, I don't know that anybody could legitimately go back, watch him in 96 and deny that he was fucking over and had potential. Yeah. 
I mean, it, he was, but like at this point, it, oh yeah, it, at this point he's a, he's a train going off the track. He's fizzling out. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, but we've but anyway, seen this happen. We've seen this happen with Vince many times in the past and up until modern day. He gets his he gets a, a proverbial liking to a wrestler. He thinks they're great. He straps a rocket straps a rocket to their back. And then when the rocket fizzles out slightly, I don't like this guy anymore. Move on. And yeah. just, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. even if Ahmed would have been the picture of of uh, pleasantries with, with, you know, his attitude and wouldn't have gotten injury, gotten injured or anything like that, Vince still might have de-pushed him because he just lost interest. The best thing to do with him in 97 would have been to get him away from the nation, turn him heel, and give him a mouthpiece. Right. Like Clarence Mason, because you fired him from the nation anyway. Yeah. Or Jim Cornette. Yep. Give him somebody that could talk and just let him be a beast. And anyway, I didn't want to. I didn't want to make this the Ahmed Johnson show. I was just, I was just defending. You know, the 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 early. I could see their way of thinking initially with him. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. I only got one more comment. And when you said that, you know. You, you think the one thing that led to his downfall? I thought you were going to say it was the fact that he like built him from Pearl River, Mississippi. <laughs> <laughs> so then we get the Hart Foundation. They're continuing to search for Shawn Michaels because they want to kick his ass. They go into the men's locker room and they look in a they look in a they look in a men's room to try to find. And they're like, he's not in here. And then Owen says a line. And I don't know if you, well, you guys didn't watch it, so you didn't catch it, which is fine. But they're looking around like, oh, Davey's like, we can't find him. Owen, we can't find him. And then Owen goes, guys, we're looking at the wrong place. He's probably in the ladies' washroom. (laughs) (laughs) Which I thought was funny. (laughs) And then he, and the fact that he said washroom, like, that's the most Canadian thing ever. Right. Like we got me excited. I thought they were going to go into the women's fucking showers. <laughs> yeah. He's in women's water closet. Yes. He's if he's it would have been, If Owen would have been from New York, he would have been like, he's probably in the ladies' WC. You know, that type of thing. <laughs> and then we get a boring fluff video on Ken Shamrock. Um, just oh, about, why did they waste the time on um, I put in my notes, and I've said this before. Ken Shamrock and Nate will know what I'm saying. Ken Shamrock is the biggest victim of um, the success of Austin three sixteen. Yes, they, he was going to be the guy. He was going to be the guy. They like that was the guy at. In 96, 97, they were like, oh, this is going to be the guy. He's going to be the best. He's going to be the best. And then Steve just fucking, <laughs> fucking stole it. And well, you know how, you so, know how Nate was saying last night that the lineage goes uh, Andre, Taker, and Brock Lesnar? I think that was their, their attempt. This was like, well, fuck, this didn't work during the Attitude Era with Shamrock. Let's do it with Brock. But, oh, definitely. Yeah, but yeah, yeah Sham- Shamrock, I think, was going to – I think they had plans to make that guy their fucking champ at some point. 
Like I said, Austin, Austin came in there and just outworked him. And I, I, and I'm not even saying it was like a malicious thing. I just think they stumbled upon the Austin thing, and I was like, all right, Shamrock, this guy's my favorite thing about him was his humor. Favorite thing about him is his sister. Yeah, Ryan Shamrock. She's gonna show up home. Yeah. Uh, but they're hyping this Ken Shamrock stuff because Vader is going to be facing Ken Shamrock at, at Cold Day in Hell in a um, no holds barred match. So Vader comes out, and then Ken Shamrock comes out to get on headset. Vader is going to be facing Gold Dust. Um, and as they're talking, Jim Ross, or as the match is going on, Jim Ross on commentary says that apparently someone has broken into the Undertaker's locker room and stole the WWF title. Um, then Vader ends up knocking down Gold Dust, but then gets out of the ring and confronts Ken Shamrock at the commentator's table, and they go into a commercial break, and when they come back... Um, They've apparently separated those guys, and the match is continuing. And Vader ends up hitting a Vader bomb on Gold Dust and pinning him one, two, three. And then Vader challenges Shamrock to get in the ring. Ross says, "There's no money in it. Like, why would you do, do this now?" And then Vader ends up spitting in the direction of Can Shamrock, which pisses him off. So Shamrock gets in the ring and they brawl until Mankind comes out and attacks Ken Shamrock. And then Goldust ends up getting in the ring and helping Ken Shamrock. And Goldust and Ken Shamrock run off Vader and Mankind. And that is that segment. Did you notice, too, that they had uh, Terry fucking actually smoking the cigar on the apron? Yeah. Like, and, back then, you know, that was a no-no for the smoking on TV shit. And then, you know, for WCW, but fucking, you do it in WWF and it was okay. And I thought it was, a honestly, a weird use of gold dust. Because they had him feuding with Hunter. And that was supposed to be, like, a big, like, feud at the time or whatever. And the other reason I think it's weird is because Goldust is just lost, and now they're going to roll into um, a in-depth interview that's going to go multiple weeks about the story of Dustin Runnels. You guys remember these segments? Yeah. Uh-huh. Where he's talking about like being the the son of Dusty Rhodes and. This, that, and everything, and Jim Ross is interviewing him, and and Dustin's talking about how um, when he was a kid, he never really saw his dad, and then when he got time with him, he was like, oh, it was so cool, because we'd go to, like, a grocery store, and people would be clamoring for my dad's autograph, and he'd be paying attention to him, and then I would think, oh, it's really cool that these fans are talking to my dad, but then I want them to talk to me, or I want my dad to talk to me, and then I got in the business, and people would say, how's your dad? And I'd fake it and be like, he's great, but I really wish they would have talked to me. Da-da-da-da-da-da. Um, I'm using the put-on voice because Dustin kind of sounds like a little bitch here, in my opinion. Yeah. 
Because um, I never got the respect. Yeah, I'm so sad. Whatever. Um, so, basically, they did that little segment, and, and Dustin was talking about how he hasn't talked to his dad in, like, three years, and he, whatever. Um, they're trying, Nate, I was, I don't, I don't know if, I, I think I got my timeline crossed up. Did they do this with Dustin and then with Foley, or did they do the Foley one first? No, Foley was first. All right. Yeah, Foley was first. He was the, oh. uh, he was the, he was the guinea pig for that type of a thing. Yeah, but it worked. Yeah, it absolutely. It, it actually made Vince McMahon a fan of Mick Foley, but yeah. like I said, I could, and like I said, I couldn't remember if I, I was pretty sure the Foley one happened first. But it's like, yeah, I'm not sure. So I'm going to ask these guys, but I don't think the Dustin one works as well as the Mick Foley one. No, my... because like you said, anybody who was a Dusty fan and heard Dustin, Dustin bitching like that thought that's what he was doing. You know, your father is Dusty Rhodes. That's a shadow you really can't come out of. But if you really wanted to, then you, you could have. But you're sitting here on a couch bitching to Jim Ross that people didn't want to talk to you when you first joined wrestling. They were always only worried about your father. Well, that was going to happen, kid. You went by Dustin Rhodes. You had bleach blonde hair. You know? <laughs> yeah. So. so I just, I think he kind of came off kind of whiny. Yeah. Uh, so then the Hart Foundation think they found Shawn Michaels in the restroom. They hear a toilet flush. They're waiting for him to come out. And they attack. And it's some random dude. And they're like, oh, it's the wrong guy. And they're like, oh, shit. We're beating up the wrong guy. You're like, god damn it. It's Wendell Cooley. Yeah. <laughs> we're, beating up, we're beating up Wendell Cooley. And then they just go, whatever. And then they just proceed to keep kicking the shit out of the guy. Um, and then we get a, uh, WWF attitude video. This one is I believe it was the, one of the first attitude videos, right? This is the second one they did. Second one. Yeah. They, this one was little Tommy is getting abused on the bus, but he started watching WWF programming and he's become more aggressive now. And he's, it's like basically, he, he he got ridiculed on the on the bus, and now he's pretending right. to be Shawn Michaels. Right. So that's why we had to start to don't try this at home on every show <laughs> because little Tommy began giving people pile drivers on the floor. <laughs> but this shit you said to your parents about the broccoli and the cauliflower—you can't do that on the school bus. We're not going to take that shit. Well, not, this gets pretending to be Shawn Michaels. So all all he did was he was getting beat up, and then he gets on the bus now, and the sexy boy theme plays, and he's wearing like his little Shawn Michaels outfit, and all these little girls are swinging their fucking book bags and shit at him, like turned on. This one was weird. Was an eight year old really was? I'm a sexy boy. Sexy boy. Yeah, yeah it's they like, should have they played. They should have played the kids' Bob version of Michael <laughs> Yeah, this one was a little awkward. Um, so then um, the Nation of Domination is now in the ring, and Farouk 
is talking about how Crush is going to run this gauntlet against these three guys that he's found from the hood. And he's like, this is all going to happen. Like I said, I know Mark's one of the only guys that really watches the shows that we talk about on the show. Oh, no, I watch Raw and and, and Nitro before we do, so I know what you're talking about. And, Nate, I want you to watch some Farouk stuff. And it's not... It's not the fruit character. I think it's a, um, you know how everybody has like a thing that they say when they're trying to explain something to somebody. Like my 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 term is, and I and I say it without even thinking about it. I say I say you know what I mean or you know what I'm saying. Right. Right. Ron Simmons has a habit. Of every time he ends a sentence, he says, okay. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Every okay. time. Like he's cutting this promo, and I and I've and as I've been watching this, he says it all the fucking time. And in this thing, he's just like, Tonight, Crush is gonna come out here and he's gonna show you how to win a gauntlet match. And Ron, and Ahmed Johnson's black butt isn't gonna be able to beat us at Cold Day in Hell. Okay. And it's not like it's not like Ron Simmons was trying to get over the term okay. I just think that's just a I I feel that that's something that Ron Simmons says is says in his everyday life. Like when he was talking to his kids in ninety seven, he's like, You're gonna take the trash out, you're gonna have the laundry done, and the dishes washed before I get home. Okay. <laughs> like, Ron Simmons thing. Um Thank God the fans didn't take off with that, like, the one chance. Because that would have been horrible during the Attitude Era. Okay? Okay? <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> I'm going to beat his goddamn ass tonight. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Crush is now going into the three-man gauntlet. The first guy comes out, and he's just some punch <laughs> with long hair. And Crush beats him pretty quick. And then um, the number two guy is some fucking goober. I, I don't know what that this was actually, is. I think, his name. Goober McGee. I don't know. What this did, did, you know did you notice they didn't even fucking give him a Titantron? They just threw a fucking promo picture up there and then he went yeah. out. <laughs> and, and his tights were ridiculous. And he jumped in the ring. And he tried to do crowd work. Like, people were going to care. And they just all looked at him. And I don't know what his fucking trunks were all about. But he proceeds to get his ass kicked by Crush. Gets the heart punch. And Crush pins him. And then the third man runs out. And he's got a pantyhose on his his head. He's wearing a Green Bay Packers... Windbreaker and the same exact pants that Ahmed Johnson was wearing earlier in his match. And he, he, he smacks Crush around, ends up hitting the Pearl, Pearl River plunge on Crush and beats him. And then he gets out of the ring quickly and um, rips the panty off his head. And surprise, surprise, it's Ahmed Johnson. Right. So like we Ahmed, Johnson. Ahmed Johnson. Yeah. Um, so Ahmed. Well, you, up, 
Boy, you got a penny on your head. You got a penny on your head. <laughs> it's called and, Jubay. And then um, we're going to take a quick break after this because I want Nate to um, find that um, um, Warriors of Virtue trailer we talked about. Nate, did you forget? No, I've actually got it queued up right now. Okay, because well, we're going to take a break because i got to pee again. Because I'm a fucking professional. Good job. <laughs> That's why I asked you to do it. Um, the thing that I wrote down was, it wasn't anything about this match. It was the fact, you know, that Ahmed had the painting on his head. The painting on his head, you know what I mean? And, and Lawler goes, oh man, he was dressed just like somebody that was getting ready to mug somebody. Right. So that exactly. became that, that became a thing. Well, he was in a gang. I know, <laughs> and, and I understand that. But what I'm saying is, everybody's the first person to do something, correct? Right. So there was a guy somewhere on this planet in some year that was like, "I have the best way to rob somebody, and they'll never know who I am." And they were like, what's that? <laughs> I'm going to put a pantyhose on my head and they'll have no fucking idea. Right. And he got away with it. And then he told all his buddies and they were like, oh. And pantyhose sales were through the roof after. <laughs> and that so, blonde's name was Buddy Landell. <laughs> so there was just some guy. I thought it was Ken Wayne. <laughs> there was some guy sitting in his <laughs> shitty apartment. Or his YMCA fucking room that was like, I gotta start robbing people to make money. I'm gonna put a pant on my head. And that man's name was Wendell Cooley. <laughs> <laughs> but what I say, okay, there's a first guy to do okay. everything. Okay. 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 <laughs> okay. There's, there, there's a first person <clears throat> to experience everything. So the first guy ever to rob somebody with a panty on his head, did it. And then this person that got robbed had to report to the police. They are like, tell us exactly what happened. Man, he had a panty on his head. <laughs> and he was like, I was walking down the street. <laughs> and a man jumped out of the shadows and he had a leggings on his head <laughs> and asked me to give him all his money and then he ran away. And the cops were like, that's fucking nuts. Sir, do you know the brand? <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> like if was, I, it, was it a fish <laughs> If Did you're the first guy If you're the first guy that ever got robbed with somebody with a <laughs> penny on their head are you more confused about the rob the robbery itself? Right. <laughs> and the, they, they taking my money, or the guy had a panty on his head. Right. If he is that guy, and he was a wrestling fan, that just triggered his PTSD. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't know if I was overthinking that shit. I'm just like, I can't imagine the first robbery. With a guy that was like, I'm gonna take my six shooter out, <coughs> but I don't want to. I don't want to be. I don't want to be um, identified. What can I wear? What can I wear? Oh, hosiery. You have to wonder. 
and I know this is going to sound really bad in post and whatnot, but you have to wonder, was it a clean panty hose that he bought from the store? Or did like he grab his, his wife's, his mom's, or his sister's off the floor? Oh, it was his mom's. Somebody on the right. way. It was right. no. He... It was no doubt his mom's. Right, because he's living with her. Right. <laughs> you would have to arrive if he had his own house. When? When? All right. So we've had that match with the Ahmed Johnson getting his comeuppance on the on the nation going into a cold day in hell, and then we're about to go into the Raw is the war zone. But before we do that. Um, we would like to say that this week's episode of the year that was dot, 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 1997 is sponsored by Paramount Pictures Warriors of Virtue. Please go to your local theaters and check out this surefire summer blockbuster. Take a look. Or a listen. To hang with us, you got to be initiated. One day, one ordinary kid will be transported Come on! to an extraordinary world Come on! beyond the boundaries of imagination. Got flushed down a toilet. Yep. Welcome to the other side. You're really a newcomer? Ruled by fear. I want him alive! Houston, we have a problem. He is the last hope to bring together five legendary warriors. How's it going? He is often a bit cranky. Who use the forces of nature as their weapons. Wood, fire, earth, metal, and water. Now the battle against the ultimate evil. The answer lies with you. Is about to begin. Come on and touchdown. I can't leave them. They need me here. You are invited to enter a remarkable world. Yes! Where nature is your weapon, but you are the ultimate warrior. The ultimate warrior? Yeah. Warriors <laughs> of virtue. So that's what he meant by put the rocket and the, the rocket fuel in the rocket. Listen, <laughs> it's like. It's like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Captain Planet. Meets Captain Planet meets Winnie the Pooh. Because you got right. you got you got the TMNT <laughs> and the Captain Planet with the fucking Earth Wind Fire fucking shit, and then you got the Kanga. So there you go. Oh my god. Surprisingly it's not horrible though. I'm just going to take your word for it. I don't have enough time in my life to watch it. (laughs) But why did he have to get down and get flushed down the water closet in order to get to that big land? Because! (laughs) It it was part of the initiation. It's a turd. It's It's a turd, right? (laughs) Oh my god. 
Uh, it's gonna become a regular segment. We're gonna find some random what shit. Is that, what did that fucking guy say? Yeah. <laughs> I watched that fucking movie in '97, asshole. <laughs> <laughs> and Mark was like, "This is the best thing I've ever seen." <laughs> oh man, TMNK. All right. Yep, TMNK. <laughs> the pool. Oh my god. Wood. <laughs> Wood is one of their strengths. Wood. <laughs> Wood. <laughs> but then the kid's most impressed by water. It's like, <gasps> water. Water. That wet, wet. <laughs> I've never taken a shower before. <laughs> oh, my God. So, coming to a theater near you, go watch The Warriors of Virtue. You probably find that shit on YouTube now for free. I'm not <laughs> finding it anywhere. Oh, you anywhere. absolutely can. You absolutely can because when I looked up the trailer on YouTube, right, <laughs> below, right below it was the entire movie. The entire movie so, was there. there you probably go. not even like. It's probably not even one of the ones free with ads. It's just like free. <laughs> just free. <laughs> Please watch our movie. Please. <laughs> We only had one guy watching. <laughs> I think his name was Mark. <laughs> there's seventeen. There's seventeen comments, and it's just Mark talking to himself. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I had that shit on VHS. Oh god! Donna <laughs> Kang. Donna Kang is the best one. <laughs> No, uh, like I think literally, like one of them was named like Rue or some shit. Like Winnie the Pooh. That's what makes it funny. Micah Kanga, Donna Kanga, Patrick <laughs> Kanga. I don't fucking know. We spent a little. Mark bit more. has it. Mark still has that on VHS and it's autographed by Corey Feldman because he was always in one of those badass <laughs> stupid movies like that. <laughs> one of the Corys. <laughs> one of the Corys, yeah. <laughs> So, we get that commercial, and then we roll into <laughs> another um, Warehouse's War beginning, and Vince McMahon introduces HBK. And I go, oh, great. More verbal fellatio from Vince McMahon onto Shawn Michaels, because as I've stated before, I hate when Shawn Michaels is interviewed by Vince McMahon. It's Nate, I know um, I'm a fan of both guys, but I, I hate the um, baby face Shawn Michaels being interviewed by Vince and Vince doing his uh, uh, laughing. And oh, yeah, it's, it's it's too much. It's, it's, it's terrible. It's, he was laughing because he knew he wasn't going to have to pay him hush money. Actually, I put that. I wonder if Vince McMahon had to pay him hush money. Yeah, with, with how fucking smiley and googly eyed he has at him, it's like Jesus Christ. Maybe Hawk was right. That might be a deep cut. <laughs> <laughs> There's a shoot interview where Hawk says that fucking Sean was fucking Vince, and that's the only reason that he would have kicked Brett out over I, Sean. Anyway, I don't. I don't believe any. 
Vince gay stuff. I don't believe it. No, I don't. I don't. He's I I, I absolutely positively no seriously. I absolutely I absolutely I know, but I absolutely I will believe anything you will ever say about Vince McMahon uh, sexually harassing a woman, and I, I really will like just because he's an alpha male macho prick. Let's be honest. He's one of the he's that that's his personality. I I don't believe I don't believe any of the gay shit about Vince. Like I don't. if it did happen, he probably would have paid more. Yeah, no, right. yeah. Right. And I just I don't believe it. I think I really do think that Vince looked at Sean or Sean looked at Vince as a father figure and Vince looked at Sean as a son figure. I really do. And and I'm not saying that makes the segments any better. They're totally cringe and they're awful. But yeah, I don't they, that that fucking that other that shit doesn't work for me. I totally believe he's a fucking masochist. I believe that totally. I know. And I was just making a joke with the hush money thing. I know, but <laughs> I think it would be funny if it's like, "You ready, pal?" <laughs> Genetic jackhammer. Genetic jackhammer. Ah. Spread them cheeks, pal. <laughs> oh God, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> There's your fucking title. Spread them cheeks, pal. <laughs> That's great. It's kind of like Chad talking about Paul Heyman and fucking Grand Wizard. Grand Wizard. <laughs> Oof. But yeah, yeah, I listened to that episode. <laughs> um, um, Vince is Vince introduces HBK. HBK comes out. HBK says he doesn't know where Austin is and he doesn't really care. And he says that he's not um, interfering in Austin's matches to prevent him from being hurt. He's interfering to hurt the Hart Foundation. And then HBK says that um, the cool thing seems to be now to um, basically shit on the fans. And that seems to be the trend. He's a guy that likes to go against the trend, so he's going to start sucking up to the fans. And then um, Vince asks HBK, all the fans want you to come back. They want to know when you're going to return to the ring. And HBK says that, that he's going to return to the ring next month at King of the Ring. And then um, says that Apparently, the Hart Foundation doesn't want to find him because he's out here right now and none of them are around. And then he dances, and that's how the interview segment is perceived to end. You guys have anything on any of that shit that Sean said? If you don't, that's fine. Um, Move on. Just Sean being Sean. Yeah. Um, like I always say about Sean in 97. Sean is one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. I'm not going to deny it. Um, I will will go to my grade saying it. I will defend some of his shit at times. um, Because he... He really was as good as he thought he was. Like, uh, somebody deny that. 
I won't. Nah, he All was right. charismatic as a motherfucker, and he was good as shit in the ring. And bell to bell in the ring. Um, he may have been a pain in the ass before he went out the curtain, but when he went out the curtain, he was going to give you everything you ever wanted him to do, and he was going to be the best at it. There's no doubt. However, nobody, nobody hates the guy more, or hated. They're betty. They're they're fine with each other now. Nobody hated the guy more than Brett, but Brett never said Shawn Michaels was a fucking terrible performer. And Cornette too. Yeah. But the point I'm getting to, and I've said it, I think I've said it before on one of our shows, is he is he is bell to bell one of the five greatest wrestlers in the history of wrestling. There's no doubt if anybody wants to fight me on it, I'll do a two hour podcast on it. Because I'll prove them wrong. <laughs> However, in 97, my biggest issue with Sean is because he was so fucked up and because he was so caught up in himself and because he was so caught up in his shit. Week to week, you don't know what Shawn Michaels you're going to get. One week, he's 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 wearing a do-rag or some shit and trying to be Steve Austin. And the next week, he's wearing like khaki shorts and trying to, trying to suck up to the crowd. He's and like, I will admit that. He's like Piper. Yeah, you never know what Sean you're going to get. And you never know what Piper you're going to get. Are you going to get coherent, um, on the point, perfect promo Piper? Or are you going to get crazy ass? I don't know what you're, fuck you're talking about. Piper. Yeah, crazy ass wearing a fedora Piper. <laughs> yeah. So Sean goes to leave. Not to step over anybody if they had anything to say. Um, no. Sean goes to leave. And then Bret Hart appears in the Titan Tron with Brian Pillman. And um, Bret tells um, or Brett tells Shawn Michaels not to leave. He's like, don't go anywhere, Sean. I got a challenge for you. Um, Sean proceeds to and I and I put this in here because Brett said like a like a under his breath line that made Pillman laugh. Um, HBK goes and back to the ring and removes this shirt and a bunch of people, a bunch of the crowd starts like squealing like, and Brett looks at Pillman. He goes, did he do that for the guys or the girls? (laughs) And, And he popped Pillman and, um, the reason I brought that up is that the Hart Foundation, like I said, greatest fucking faction in my personal opinion. But there wasn't like a lot of like screen time with Brett and Pillman by themselves or you know right. together. Yeah. But I think fucking Brett, and obviously he did because he put him in a group. I think Brett fucking thought Pillman was fucking awesome. It, oh yeah, like, Brett, Brett Brett Hart and Ric Flair saw the greatness of Brian Pillman and Steve Austin. Yeah. I think that was fantastic. And 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 watching it, it was kinda it was kinda cool on this episode watching Brett watch Pillman do his thing. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? I agree. Yeah, I agree. 
and Nate, remember, and, and and then I'll then I'll then I'll just get back into the show. Remember, Nate, when we did a show a couple of weeks back, where we were talking about guys that didn't work together that we would have liked yeah. to have a match. Mm-hmm. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I talked about like um, um, Terry Funk and Jake Roberts never worked together. How awesome of a feud, like a one-on-one feud, would have sh- would have been Shawn Michaels and Brian Pillman. It would have been fantastic. Been fucking great. The promo alone would have been great. Or a fucking train wreck. Either way, it would have been fun to watch. Well, one of the matches definitely would have been a train wreck. I agree with that. One of them. Pillman would have never let Sean do his do his bullshit that he did. You know what I mean? Like it, it would have been fucking great. But anyway, um, Brett tells Sean to stay in the ring, and he says that he's got a challenge for him. He wants HBK to face. Jim the Anvil Neidhart. And he goes, I don't want you to do it next week. I don't want you to do it at, the sh- at King of the Ring. I want you to do it right now. So Shawn Michaels gets back in the ring and says, sure, bring the Anvil on. Anvil comes out. And then Owen and Bulldog proceed to attack um, they proceed to attack Shawn Michaels. And then the LOD come out and they save um, Sean, because they're putting over LOD having their feud with Owen and Bulldog, and they run them off. So that that's what happens there. Um, something that's weird, and I and Brett was trying to—I don't know if Brett was trying to get this over somehow, but um, at least four times in this promo. He asked Shawn Michaels, do you have the jam to do this? You have the yep. jam to face Anvil. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about with jam, Brett? I don't know what that was. But we'll get away from that. Brett was, he kept talking about jam. I don't know if somebody was that. What, he, what he meant was, is Anvil was in catering and wanted a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. But Sean can, sold all the jelly. I can believe that. So, no, um, I, 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 it was, it was obsessive. How many times he says, "Do you have the jam?" Do you have the jam? That's what Brett. Keeps I don't saying. think you have the jam. Well, like he would, he was emphasizing that word too. So, did I miss like a ninety-seven thing where jam was a thing? Nope. No, Brett's just Canadian. Yeah. So, I have no fucking idea, but I had that in my notes. So I wanted to bring it up and see if any of you guys would be like, yeah, I understand that. Or Mark being like, oh, yeah, I said jam all the time in 97. Yeah, like, that's my jam. <laughs> my, right. You don't got the jam. Warriors is my jam. Anyway. Hey, I will stand beside it. It's it's fine. I will own it. Okay. Apparently, nobody owns Warriors of Virtue because you can watch that shit for fucking free on YouTube. <laughs> um, but like I said, uh, Owen and Jim and Davey end up teaming up on 
Sean, the LOD come back and they save HBK and then it goes to commercial. And now rules are reversed. HBK is hunting um, the Heart Foundation and we roll into a match between Doug Furness and Philip Lathon, who were upset about their loss to the LOD last week, saying that it was a fluke and that they're going to beat them this week. And then that match starts, and it's a back-and-forth match, and Owen and Bulldog get involved, allowing Furnace and Lafon to get the victory. So Furnace and Lafon get a 1-2-3 over Legion of Doom. Anything on that? Uh, we've said it many times, underrated tag team, Furnace and Lafon. They were. Well, like, not to discount them in the ring, but when I hear Furnace and LaFawn, I, I think, like, okay, is there a boiler room with a deer in it or something? <laughs> <laughs> so, that happened, and then they come back from commercial, and Brian Pillman and the Anvil have finally found Shawn Michaels, and they're kicking the shit out of him, and then Steve Austin ends up showing up. Um, he walks into the building, and it's not that he sees the HBK is getting beat up. He walks into the building for the first time for the night and immediately sees Pillman and Anvil and goes into attack mode. So then it turns into Steve Austin and HBK brawling with Pillman and Anvil. So we've now established that Steve Austin has showed up. And then um, Undertaker comes out and he cuts a pretty basic promo um, stating that he's the WWF champion. He's the champion of the Creatures of the Night and somebody has stole his title. And um, he doesn't know who stole his title. But eventually when he finds out who did, I don't know your name, but you're going to be um, basically resting in peace once he finds out who took it. And then he talks about Steve Austin and how Steve Austin has a flame of fury and that he respects the flame, but he's going to have to put it out and extinguish it at Cold Day in Hell. Good promo. And then he I mean, leaves. It was basically you said, but it was a good promo. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to keep mentioning Cold Day in Hell so Nate knows the name of the next show we're going to do. Am I missing something? Did Nate mess up the name of it in your house? I sure did. He botched he swapped it with uh, Revenge of the Taker, right? So the, ne- the name of the next episode is Good Friends, Better Enemies. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> Beware of dog. <laughs> so the next thing we get is I was like excited because Nicholas Beware <laughs> No, it's Beware of Dog Part Two. Part two. <laughs> the one where the lights were actually on for it. Uh, 
So the next thing we get is my favorite little kid attitude commercial. I was excited it was back. Nicholas is back. And he's like, broccoli, cauliflower, you feed me this garbage and expect me to whatever. And then his (laughs) parents are talking and they're like, and his dad's like, I don't know. He's just been walking around the house mumbling something about whoop ass. And then he looks at his parents and he's like, you two are completely pathetic. Oh, it's so fucking funny. That's one of my favorite things about, uh, what is it? Is it WWF The Music Volume 2 that has the Austin theme on it? I think it's Volume 2. Yeah, with Fred Blassie and the kid. But on the CD, like before Austin's music starts... Like when you when you hit play on the track, it goes. You are completely pathetic, and then it starts playing Austin's music. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's how hell frozen over, right? And by the way, I don't know if I've said this before. I think I have, or maybe I made a post about it at some point. Jim Johnston used the same beat. For the Stone Cold Steve Austin theme, as he did for the Razor Ramon theme. He did. Well, well listen to it. And he stole that beat from an Eagles song. Yes, he did. Those shoes. Mm-hmm. That's fucking Razor Ramon's theme, man. Even at the beginning of it, it's like wah, wah, wah. And I'm not. I'm not even knocking it. I'm not even knocking that he stole it because everybody steals everything. No, no, it's fine. And but I'm just saying, like, you listen to the two themes, listen to them, listen to one, listen to Razors, then listen to Steve's. It's got the same. It's like Mark said. It's just a, it's an upper tempo, but they're the same right. tempo. They're the same, or not the same tempo, but the same beat. And and honestly, you know, it's silly too. And I don't want to get into the weeds. But you know it's funny too. The Razor Ramon character and the Stone Cold character are kind of the same thing. Yep. Like Razor Ramon was kind of the Stone Cold of the fucking early nineties. Was just this fucking guy. It's like I don't give a fuck. You know, I'll smack you around. I don't give a shit. Anyway. Started as, started out as a heel character. Got over. Didn't have to change the character. Because he was a badass prick. And everybody yeah. likes that. Right. Um, so like I said, that Nicholas fucking commercial cracks me up. And then um, Sonny comes out all the fucking way live. Nate, I know you didn't watch it, but this is Sonny in a Stone Cold Steve Austin t-shirt and like knee-high boots, and that's it. And back then, she was always all the way live. And it now most like, of the people that encounter her are not alive. So, <laughs> Hey, I made it up pretty safe. Most of them are all the way life sentences. Those are the people she's hanging out with. But at this point, she is just out there in knee-high boots, and a Stone Cold Steve Austin shirt, and she goes to walk away, and it does not even look like she's wearing fucking panties. And Jim or Jerry Lawler is super jacked about it. 
knowing her, she probably wasn't. And it 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 was it was it was a good thing to see. And then the main event of the match, or the main event of the match, the main event match of the show is the British Bulldog Baby Boy Smith versus Steve Austin. Um, they go like thirteen minutes. It's a long match, but it's not. It's not bad and it's not good. It's just a match. Um, Steve Austin it's, and it's the match. It's the match you were supposed to get at WrestleMania. Yeah, and, and, and like I said, it's a <clears throat> it's a decent match. Um, Steve ends up winning with Stone Cold Stunner, but the post match is where the story's at. Um, after Steve gets a Stone Cold Stunner and um, pins Davy, the Hearts attack Steve. And they are proceeding to beat him down. And Jim Ross is like, they're beating him with a belt. They're beating him with a title. And guess what title they're beating him with? Continental? Nope. The WWF title. Ah, that's a callback to when they said somebody stole the yes. title out of the Undertaker's locker room. And the hearts wow. have been tra- and the hearts have been track trying to track down Sean, and the story is the throwback is that um, they've been going through every locker room looking for uh, Sean Michaels, and they apparently wound up in the Undertaker's locker room. And Owen was like, "Fuck it, let's steal this belt." So they steal right, it. We got all the other ones. Yeah, so they're beating Steve. They're they're beating Steve with the WWF Championship. Um, LOD comes back out again, but Furnace and Lafon attack them, and then HBK comes out and gets involved, and then the lights go out, and they come back on, and the Undertaker's in the ring, and he starts attacking, um, then the Hearts and Furnace and Lafon powder out, and then the only people in the ring after all of this are Austin and the Undertaker. Austin does not see the Undertaker behind him and ends up picking up the WWF title and he's looking at it and he turns around. Taker sees Austin with the WWF title, which pisses him off. Austin throws the belt at Taker's feet. Kind of kind of drawing the line there and Taker steps over the line and they start to brawl and that is how um well as war ends. And I thought it was a fucking kick-ass show. Miles better than Nitro. Miles better. Should have beat Nitro in the ratings, but didn't. So the I only thing um, about the only thing about and, and and again, 97, my favorite year in wrestling, my favorite year, especially in the WWF. <clears throat> the only thing I'll say negative is and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna harp on it because I know we want to wrap up here. Um, Taker's title reign in '97 suffers from the fact that so much else is going on. Well, right, it's like he's, Brett he's, and Stone Cold don't even want the belt. He's the champion, but it, it but his title reign is kind of there, you know. Right. Yeah. It's a back. It's a backdrop. 
his title reign in '97 was kind of like how I don't know, and I'm not knocking it. It was kind of like how Mick said his title reign, his first title reign was was like you know lifetime achievement award type thing. Yeah. But anywho, nobody else has anything else to say, I guess. No, I think we covered it. All right, so does anybody have anything that they want to hype before I fuck up the closing of the show? Because that's (laughs) kind of what I do. Yes. I would like to um, act that everybody go on and support that Warriors movie on YouTube <laughs> and get it to at least a million uh, views if you could. Mark, do you have anything? Uh, yeah. <clears throat> let's, uh, let's continue to grow the listening audience of you know, all the podcasts on the network and uh, I actually my guest this week for March Indie Spotlight is someone that is on a Netflix original series, so this is going to be pretty interesting. It's going to be good shit, pal. Such good shit. Nate, you got Well, in this company, we don't, um, we don't, we don't inundate you with five minutes of dick pills. Uh, we also don't talk down to you because we are wrestling historian elitists. And we don't sign non-disclosure agreements. I'm actually, as the CEO of this company, faithful to my wife. So for for Conrad Thompson, for Brian Last, who I respect, but goddamn, those shows are so condescending. And for Vince McMahon... Who's obviously had more had his dick in more toilets than? <laughs> Damn, Nate! Whoa, whoa! <clears throat> and we'll rewind that. Anyway, Vince, get your dick wet, pal. But anyway, I think Nate just stole my gimmick. I might have <laughs> on your on your show. I do because I show up for this show and I just. Start drinking beer, you but anyway, like Conrad, other, even it, about like Conrad Thompson, he brought Brian Last. What the fuck did he ever do to anybody? What did Brian Last ever do to anybody? Mm, he condescends it. a bit. Yeah, so I. <laughs> I don't listen to Conrad's show, so I don't know what he does anymore because I stopped listening to those years ago. But anyway. These shows are great. These shows are entertaining. We have a great time. And we hope you have a great time enjoying them with us. And on Aaron's show, I tend to get a little bombed. So, because I don't have to be the, I don't have to be the boss. I can just sit back, relax, get drunk and listen to him talk about my favorite year in wrestling, 1997. And that being said, I'm going to let you sign off your own fucking show because I don't have it in me. All right. I want to thank you guys for listening. I want to thank you guys, uh, Mark and Arch and Nate, for joining in tonight. And 
like like I've said previously, I'm only five beers in, so it's not going to be a fucking train wreck like Nate was. Um, choo choo. I just want to thank everybody that listens to the shows. Um, support all the shows that um, Nate produces, especially this one. Um, I want to get this show out of being the curtain jerker because I know that's what it is. I have, I have, I have no misgivings about what I am. I know I'm the Barry Horowitz, the Steve Lambari of the fucking oh god group. <laughs> And I have no misgivings of it because guess what? I'd rather watch or listen to Steve Lombardi. There are 56 people that regularly listen to your show. No, you know what? I have the cold bullshit here. He invented you and him together, but it was his brainchild, the most popular show on the network, Reliving the Extremes. So how are you the Barry Harwood? Of course, Steve Lombardi. Also, also, Aaron. Huh. Oh. <laughs> since you're playing your pity party here, give me just a second. Shawn Michaels. <clears throat> what's, your goddamn pit, what's your goddamn pity party? No plan, no pity party. You have 56 regular listeners to your show. Okay. The Slice of Time has 26. So you're not the curtain jerker. I am. Wait, how many does the, the, the we, we, uh, we Can't Wrestle have? We Can't Wrestle has... Right? We, can't, like we Can't Wrestle has 222. Right, right. I wasn't there is no curtain. Sorry. There's no curtain jerker on this, this channel. We all play our part. Okay. <laughs> And reliving the extreme right now has one thousand six hundred seventy-eight. You created that, so stop fucking pity partying. You're fucking shitting me. Say that number again. Reliving the extreme has one thousand six hundred and seventy-eight listeners. Holy fucking shit! How many does my have? That means nothing compared to other podcasts, but. I have like 30 or 40 listeners, uh, right? Archie, you have 88. Oh, we bumped up. All right. Thanks, everybody. Mark, you have 39. Yeah, yeah I'm growing. Yeah, Mark's new. He's double what I had last Mark's time. Grow. Mark's a shower, yeah. not a grower. <laughs> oh, <laughs> or a grower, a grower, not a shower. Oh, God. <laughs> Mark. Mark, if you need Mark. I'm sorry. <laughs> Mark. You need help growing, Mark. If you need help growing, I know of a podcast that'll tell you something to help you with that. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> no, uh, yeah. We thank your grandpa's father bills. <laughs> Roll time. <laughs> oh. oh shit. Hey, Mark. But, no, Mark. Listen, yeah. Mark. Mark. Listen, um, I came up with I came up with reliving the extreme, and I and I'm not I'm not big dogging you. I'm just saying I did that. But if you want to get your numbers up to that, if you could figure out how to forge the powers of wood, 
water. <laughs> Paper. And um, what was the other one? Fucking air. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, because I know paper wasn't a part of that. If you can figure out how to get the powers of wood, paper, printer ink, and um, um, sloppy Joe to come together, you can build your fucking empire, brother. Well, I mean, all, all I have to do is run, run with the idea and continue the premise and continue to put on good shit. <laughs> I, you know what? Oh, I'm completely ignoring that whole shit that you just said, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I said sloppy Look, we, all, we all know why Reliving the Extreme has the most listeners. Because you guys got ham dog on there. Okay? Chad Austin. And Aaron and Nate, but ham dog's on there. That's all I'm going to say. And I'm still calling him out. I want him on the next book and the box. Yeah, we got to do a fucking live pay-per-view uh, thing with Archie and fucking Chad where they roast each other the whole fucking time. <laughs> that, would be, that would be hysterical. But Chad yeah. might get mad at me if I go too crazy. My impersonation of Chad. Archie Mitchell? Yeah. You know what I don't get, Nate? Nate, you know what makes me laugh? What? He mentions me constantly on all the pages that we run and things like that. And then when I finally made a joke, I was like, I'm calling you out for it. He's like, who's Archie Mitchell? I'm like, what the fuck? That's Chad, man. Like you, yeah, yeah like you mentioned yeah, my name constantly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Being a worker, brother. Yeah. You know what I mean? But he got my gut with that. Like, you mentioned me every day, and I'm now you don't know who I am. <laughs> I mean, come on. He was choke slammed by 911 more times than Vince had his right. Right. Foot, like Nate said. Right. <laughs> right. So, anyway, I think I was doing a, I think I was doing a closing, right? Yeah. I guess. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> um, what I was trying to say was I appreciate um, the, I think Nate said 56. Oh, God damn it. 56. Yes, you got yeah. it. That was Good job. On. Nate was Good just job. It up. No, I had to click back to the fucking thing because I have, I would like to appreciate the um, 50... Um, no, it's it's fifty three listeners because you guys listen to the show. So the fifty three actual listeners oh. hosts. I don't uh, listen to the show. I don't either. Um, but before then, <laughs> right? Before then, get down to the numbers. Basically, it's not, it's not cutting time, pal. If you're listening to this shit, I appreciate it. And if you're listening to all my buddies' shit, I appreciate that too. And if you're doing it, don't be a lazy bitch. Click the like button, click the subscribe button, click the fucking comment button, and just say, This is good shit, pal. And nobody cares if you're watching Japanese wrestling. And nobody nobody cares. Anyway, go ahead, Aaron. (laughs) Nobody cares. (laughs) Nobody cares about Japanese wrestling. 
what I'm trying to say is nobody cares what you have to say. Just say it in the comment section and hit the like button. And that helps drive us up the fucking... Um, and you have a... You have a group now, too. Yes, I do. And once Nate gets off his lazy ass and posts the show, you're not lazy. <laughs> Maybe a the, listen, the listeners are lazy. You're not lazy. The listeners are lazy. Once Nate um, wakes up tomorrow and um, puts forth the effort to produce this fucking train wreck that we just did, I will post that onto my current Facebook page that I have started which is for the year that was dot, dot, dot. I'll start posting current content on there. And just thanks for listening, guys. And um, if we can get these shows up to the numbers that, like, really in the extreme are, we can start trying to do bonus content and other crazier shit. Like videos, right. Yeah. Um. So support Mark's show, um, Indie Spotlight, um, support Archie's show, if you smell with the Arches cooking, support Nate's little lame show, Slice Time. They're, they're, yeah, <laughs> get me up there, folks. God damn. Yeah. Nate can't get it up. Nate, I have a <laughs> podcast that can help you with that. <laughs> help Nate get it up. And oh, my God. Support Slice Time. <laughs> Yeah, if I can't get it up, we won't have a host for our next fucking trivia show. Yeah. Oh, God. He's going to divorce him. <laughs> Sign off. I can, only, I can only pet this cat and look at fucking Pluto TV so long. Jesus Christ. I got to move. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Thank you for listening. We love you. Hasta la vista, motherfuckers. Oh. I'll be back. Warriors of Virtue. <laughs>